Lord Jesus, there is a wideness in your mercy. Sometimes it's wider than we'd like it to be. Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us this morning and please teach us from it so that we can receive your grace, but also that we can be dispensers of it. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. During my last year in seminary, I was in a New Testament class that was for all seniors. And this class was filled with people, all of whom had completed all the requirements to be ordained. Three long years of Greek and Hebrew and theology and all kinds of things. And one day the professor came into the class and he said, I've just been speaking with some national leaders of the Presbyterian Church, and they've decided that you no longer need to take Greek to be ordained. A few people said, wow, that's kind of weird. They said, not only that, they've decided that you don't need Hebrew either. Some people said, well, that's really not right. And they said, not only that, but they've decided you don't even have to go to seminary anymore. You just have to go to an interview to prove you're sincere, and then you can be ordained. At which point, about 15 people just exploded in anger. That's not fair. They can't do this now. Why didn't they decide this before I did all these silly requirements? And the professor said, I know, I know, it's not fair. And then with just a hint of a smile, he said, but let's just open to our text this morning. The laborers in the vineyard, Matthew 20. <laughs> we realized we'd been had. Here we were studying to be pastors, studying to sort of be dispensers of God's grace. And the whole idea of grace irritated us. That someone else would get something free of charge that we had worked so hard for offended us just like it offended the workers in this parable, where everyone gets paid the same even though they worked different amounts of hours. You know, grace is such a nice word, isn't it? And then we associate it with the goodness of God, and we love it in theory. But there's another side of grace that this parable highlights. If we look at it closely, the grace of Jesus Christ can be just a little bit scandalous. It can be a little bit disturbing. And if we're honest, grace bothers us. This parable scandalizes us. This sermon, no doubt, will disturb some of you. It disturbed me, and I wrote it. So feel free to be disturbed. <laughs> you know, one of the stereotypes we have about being a Christian and, and Jesus, you hear it all the time, is that if you're a good person, well, then you'll go to heaven. And that Jesus is fair and that he rewards us for all of our good deeds. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, even from people who've been Christians their whole life. They'll say, I'm a good person. I know I'm going to go to heaven because of that. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says we go to heaven for one reason and one reason alone, because of his grace and because we know him. And nowhere does Jesus say that he's fair. Nowhere does he say that we're going to get what we've earned or what we deserve. He says that he comes to bring grace, and grace bothers us. Because grace is not the way we tend to do things in our culture. Our whole society doesn't operate on grace, but operates on ungrace, on non-grace. As Philip Yancey points out, tests come back with the wrong answers circled, not the right ones. Corporations have org charts, so everyone knows who's above everyone else. And airlines make us earn frequent flyer miles. They don't just give them away. The compensation package that this landowner offers his workers would not fly in a global economy. Our whole culture functions on non-grace. And we like it that way. And if we didn't, we'd change it. 
But truth be told, as much as we are comforted by the idea of grace, Jesus' grace also disturbs us and it challenges us. And it does so for a couple of reasons, I think. I think the first reason that we don't like grace is because it makes us equal to everyone else. And we don't want to be equal. We want to be superior. I think the workers' complaint is interesting. that They say, you have made us equal to everyone else. They're not upset about the wage. The wage was a fair wage. They're upset that everyone got paid the same, that no one is superior, that everyone is equal. A lot of human happiness seems to depend on us having something that someone else doesn't have. My kids are a wonderful example of this. If Holly has a toy and Jackson doesn't have it, he must have that toy. Not because the toy is a great toy, but because his sister has something that he doesn't have and he's got to fix that terrible wrong. Right? He's got to have what she doesn't have. If you don't believe in original sin, have children. It will cure you of your bad theology. Human happiness depends on us having something that someone else doesn't have so that we can feel superior. That's why I went to school all those years, because I loved getting grades. I thought grades were wonderful. I would work so hard to get an A+, because it was the highest. And by definition, that meant that I was better than other people, that I had something that they didn't have, and, and that made me feel superior, and I love to feel superior. And what this parable suggests is that as sick as it sounds, we want heaven to be a little bit like school. We want, we want God to give us grades so that we can compare ourselves to other people. So that, you know, in heaven we could walk up to someone and say, God gave me an A+, what did he give you? Ooh, B-. minus. Ooh, must have been that thing with the IRS a couple of years ago. <clears throat> Guess you're going to have to sit on the B- minus side of the galaxy. There's a part of us that wants God to act that way so that we can feel better than somebody else. You ever do that? Are there people that you do that to? Or are there people that you place yourself above? I think all of us do. We say things like, well, I may be a sinner, but at least I'm not. Or I may lie sometimes, but at least I'm not like. And just kind of fill in the blank. After I graduated from college, I, I worked in a church where there was this woman who would come to me every other week or so with various plans that she had designed to punish people that she considered immoral for whatever reasons. And some of them were petitions she wanted me to sign about various laws. Some of them were things that she wanted our church to do. And, and I would get in these fierce arguments with her because I just, I just didn't think that was the best use of our time as Christians. And I would come home and I would be so mad and I'd, I'd, I'd complain to my roommates and I'd say, oh, oh, she makes me so mad. She's so mean. She's so judgmental. I hope God teaches her a lesson about grace. Well, the challenge of grace for for this woman was that uh, even though she had impeccable moral credentials, and she did, she lived a very good life, the challenge of grace for her was that if any one of those people that she considered immoral ever came to Jesus, well, they'd be saved just like she was. And the challenge of grace for me is that God loved this woman just as much as he loves me. And if in her zeal to create a more moral society, she erred on the side of judgmentalism, well, then surely his grace covered her just as much as it covered me if I erred on the side of being too lenient. To quote the old saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The challenge of grace is that it makes us equal. We're all just sinners who need God's grace. None of us can feel too superior. 
Which brings me to a second reason that I don't think we like grace. And it's, it's related to the first. It's too radical. Grace is too radical. Grace means that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And for an overachieving eldest son, Stanford student, that drives me crazy. Because I just love to earn things to make myself feel better. But the grace of God means something else. It also means that there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. And for a wretch like me, that's good news. You see, no one is first, and no one is last. We're all just saved by Jesus. And I think that's why Jesus uses such confusing language in this story about first and last. At the end of chapter 19, if you were to look at that, Jesus says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But then at the end of the parable, he turns that around, he reverses it, and he says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's very confusing language. All those firsts and lasts, last and first, just blurring together as if in the kingdom of God that were the point. That grace is not about finishing first or last. Grace is about not keeping score at all. Now that's radical. I mean, Jesus is more radical than Mao or Lenin or Marx or any revolutionary you can think of. Those guys just wanted to put the workers on the top and the capitalists on the bottom, but there was still going to be a top and there was still going to be a bottom. And Jesus just gets gets rid of top and bottom altogether. And he says you can stop worrying about being first. You can stop being afraid of being last. Because once you're covered by my grace, you're free from all of that. You're free. Where are you competing just to feel like you're in first place? Jesus says if you know him, you don't have to prove anything to anyone anymore. You're loved no matter what you've done or no matter what you haven't done. And that's radical. Which brings me to the third reason and the last reason that I think grace challenges us and it's because it's unfair. Grace is unfair. The landowner's grace means that those who worked the longest got paid the same as those who worked just an hour. That's not fair. Did, did you know that this story used to be a, a Jewish parable, a very famous Jewish parable until Jesus got a hold of it? And in the original version of the story, the workers who came last worked so hard, they were more productive than all the other workers put together, and they did as much as all the other workers put together, even though they only worked one hour. So they earned what they got. Now, that's the parable Jesus should have told, don't you think? That's a good parable. But that's not what he says. And you can kind of just see the crowd as he's telling the story. Oh, this is a great story. I love this one. It's a great story about working hard. Until Jesus gets to the end. And he puts his twist on it and everyone gets paid the same. Translated into my own life, God's grace means that I can't feel superior even to the worst offenders. Even if I am more moral and have worked hard to do that. As the hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Doesn't seem fair. Grace also means that I can't be jealous of the good gifts that God gives to other people. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I compare myself to other people. You know, I think, oh, that person's a better speaker. That person's a better leader. God gave that person more hair, you know. Sometimes that doesn't seem fair to me. Maybe, maybe they haven't worked as hard as I have. Maybe, maybe I've lived a better life. Maybe they don't need the hair as much as I need the hair. I think I need the hair. And I think that's not fair. I deserve it more. You see, the truth about grace is that grace applied to ourselves feels right and just and the way things ought to be. But grace applied to others, well, that disturbs us. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But if it saves a wretch like you, it's not so amazing and it doesn't sound as sweet. 
seems unfair. They don't deserve it. But to quote Clint Eastwood, deserves got nothing to do with it. And thank God it doesn't, because if deserved had anything to do with it, we'd all be in trouble. Because no matter how good we are, we aren't holy. And none of us can ever be good enough to meet the standards of a holy God. Christ's grace means that the worst villain in history, pick them, Nero, Genghis Khan, whatever, if they came to Jesus in the last moment of their life, grace means that they go to heaven just like me. I'm not sure I like that. That might mean I'm in heaven sometime and Genghis Khan might come up to me and say, Scott, you made it too? What a surprise. That's going to get on my nerves. Grace has a scandalous, offensive side to it. It levels the playing field, makes us all equal. It is radical and it is unfair, which just proves that we didn't make it up. I mean, this is not the kind of thing that human beings come up with on their own. Frequent flyer miles, that's what we come up with. But grace, grace comes from only one place, and that's the heart of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that there are no consequences to our actions. Galatians 6 says, God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If we sin, we will reap the consequences of that in this lifetime. And if we spend our whole lives not knowing Jesus, only to embrace him in the end, well, then we've missed out on a lifetime of the joy of knowing Jesus. And we've wrecked our lives with destructive behavior. So there are consequences in this life to what we do. But what this parable does say is that no matter how bad we've been, no matter how late we come, no matter what is in our past, whatever is in our present, we still have a future if we know Jesus Christ. And that's the important qualifier, if we know Jesus. A while back I was giving a lecture at Stanford to a group of non-Christians about Christianity and grace. And one of the students was just incensed by what I had been saying. And, and he stood up and he said, let me give you a hypothetical situation. Suppose my friend here goes crazy one day and he starts killing people and maybe commits armed robbery and such. And then the last day of his life, he, he receives Jesus and it's sincere. Are you telling me that he goes to heaven just the same as Mother Teresa? And I said, that is exactly what I'm telling you. And he said, that's not fair. And I said, well, I know it's not. And he said, that can't be. D don't you think he needs to do something to make up for all the rotten stuff he's done? D don't you think a price has to be paid? And I said, oh, oh, I agree. I absolutely agree. And that's the wonderful part. You see, the reason that God can be so unfair is that the price has already been paid. Because 2,000 years ago, religious piety, which is always fair... And Roman law, which was very just, conspired to put an innocent man to death on a cross. That wasn't fair either, was it? But it was grace. And grace is unfair to everybody. It means that an innocent man is killed so that serial killers who accept him can be saved just like Mother Teresa. It means that Christ had to die so that adulterers and liars and cheats and hypocrites and people like you and people like me could be saved and receive God's blessing. It's not fair. Jesus didn't deserve that. We don't deserve that. But thank God that in his economy of grace, deserves got nothing to do with it. Because if it did, we'd all be in trouble. Who do you think is beyond God's grace? A friend? A neighbor? A co-worker? Maybe it's yourself. What Jesus is saying is that nobody is beyond his grace. It is open to everybody. 
And how are you trying to prove yourself worthy by competing or trying to be in first place or trying to feel superior to someone else? Christ's sacrifice means that you can stop all your frantic efforts because he loves you no matter what you do and no matter what you don't do. It is amazing grace. And it has a sweet, sweet sound because it saves wretches like you and wretches like me and all those wretches out there who may look to be beyond saving but who aren't. If we will just tell them that in Jesus Christ there's forgiveness and an abundant life. It's not fair. I'll grant you that. The grace of God is not fair. And that's good news. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do not treat us according to what we deserve. But thank you that you reward us with your grace. Thank you for your sacrifice that makes this possible. Lord, we ask that you would teach us about grace, that we would receive it, and that we would be channels of your grace so that the world can know that the abundant life is possible if they know you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.